Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin this evening. Sorry I'm a minute or two late. The teenagers that usually run the duck blind are not here, so I had to teach an old person. Uh, well, he, he kind of knows, but I had to give him... <laughs> well, he's even called an elder, so I guess I can't... <laughs> Tonight we'll have three songs, and then Derek has our reading and prayer. Uh, one more song, and then Chris will have our lesson. First song this evening is number 866. If you would, let stand for this song, please. 866, I will call upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved by next song is on the overhead only. It's Cornerstone. Cornerstone. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest Yeah. 
next song is number one. Number one, A Beautiful Life. Through the first, second, and last verses, and then we'll have our scripture and reading. Each day I do. Our scripture reading for this evening comes out of the uh, letter, second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 8 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 8 through 11. We do, not, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships and suffering in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might rely on ourselves, not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope 
that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we so, are so thankful that we can come back together to, to worship together again. And Father, as we are about to hear your word presented, Father, I ask that you soften our hearts and the Holy Spirit lead us to correct understanding of your word as it's spoken, Father, that we can apply that to our lives and, and use it to do your work, Father, that we might be that salt and that light in the world that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, let's stand for our next song. It's number 834. Salvation has been brought down. 834. Jesus gave his life for ransom, young Calvary.
Song of invitation be number 23. All things are ready. 23. Good evening. It's good to see each one of you with us this evening. Go ahead and be flipping in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we're going to spend our time tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We've been looking through some passages um, that have been misunderstood and misinterpreted. Um, by the, the denominational world at large um, that have caused some havoc in, in our world. And so I, I ran across 1 Corinthians 10, 13, uh, and I thought that, that deserves a spot in this series because it is misunderstood and, and misapplied, I think. Um, there is a nuance here that we need to think through, um, but I think that, uh, that this is something that I think will be beneficial for us. So let's deal with what we always deal with in these lessons, the context. Uh, one of the big things, you guys have heard me say this ad nauseum by this point, uh, but the big, the big thing, the way to figure out what these verses mean are, read the verses around them. The context is key. So, let's read the verses around it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that, was, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Just hold on right there. What, what's he talking about? He's getting to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, but he's not there yet. And so what's, what's really... What's he driving at here? Well, he's using the Old Testament examples here. You've got, uh, I think, three or four of them <coughs> that he's using as an example. And he's going to point you to that uh, fact in just a little bit. These things are meant to be an example. The Old Testament scriptures are an example for us. They teach us. And not only do they help us understand God, but they under help us understand how he deals with people in specific situations. And so... He doesn't want us to find ourselves in the situation that they were in. So, what in the world is he talking about when he says all, all of our fathers, they were, they were under the cloud? Did, maybe you remember this, this episode. During, <coughs> excuse me, during the 40 years of uh, wilderness wandering, God led Israel under a cloud um, by day and by fire, a pillar of fire by night. Um, that started from the day they left Egypt all the way through the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. It's a, a situation known as under the cloud. And so during that time, he's taking care of them. And in fact, you probably remember this, this episode. It may be the most famous and certainly the most um, aggressive that this, this cloud uh, ever became. This cloud represents God's presence. He's, he's in this cloud leading them um, but when, uh, right after, um, or right before they cross the Red Sea, the cloud shifts from the in front of them to behind them. And the cloud is going to start fighting. God is going to start fighting the Egyptian army. And so this, this reference, all of our fathers were under the cloud, is a reminder that God takes care of us. He protects us. He fights 
for us. This is something God is doing. In fact, in that, in that passage that he's referring to here, uh, as God fights for um, the Israelites against the Egyptians, Moses says, all you have to do is sit back and watch. God is going to fight for us. So this is something that God is going to do. The next uh, little section there that Paul's trying to get them to remember, remember these, <clears throat> these are people who would have been at least fairly well versed in the Old Testament stories. And if they were Gentiles, then their, their Jewish counterparts in the church would have kind of taken them along, uh, along to the side and said, well, this is, what he's, this is what he's trying to get across with all these, these references. This is what it means. And so we need, sometimes we need to get back to, to that ourselves. And so this, this pass through the sea, you're familiar with that, of course. It's when they went through the Red Sea and God parted the waters. And they actually, you remember, they got to walk through on dry ground. The ground's not even wet. It's not muddy. It's, he, he dried it up for them. This is not something that they had done. This is through no um, good behavior on their part. This is, this is through no exemplary actions on their part. This is something that God has done for them. And so he split the, the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And as soon as the last Israelite was through, uh, God brought the, the waters crashing back down on top of the chariots of the Egyptians. Something God had done. This, uh, this same spiritual food that he's talking about there, you remember that that's the manna and the quail, of course. Um, these, let me give you these passages real quick. Um, it's Exodus 32 is where he's talking about, well, we'll get to that in just a second. Hold on to that thought. Uh, jumped ahead of myself. So this, this same spiritual food that he's talking about is manna and the quail. And they were given these things, uh, at least the manna, for 40 years, and the quail was... Um, on occasion, but they, they got those things and they would get out uh, every day and they would gather an omer, enough for one day uh, of the manna and they would bake the bread and th that's what they lived off of for 40 years. That's how God sustained them. This was something that he had done. Uh, and if they had gathered more than an omer, more than their fair share uh, of that day, the food would spoil. The manna would go bad overnight. And so they were forced to rely on him. They needed to rely on him because he's been good to them thus far. And that's really what he's trying to get across here throughout all of these examples is God is good. You can and should rely on him. And the last example he uses in this section is this spiritual drink. And you're familiar, of course, with the, the, the rock that Moses spoke to on uh, one occasion and struck on another that gave them, them water. They had been complaining as the Israelites are wont to do during this section of their history, uh, about not having what they thought was their due. And God said, well, I've, I've given you manna, I've given you quail, more than you can eat. In fact, in one occasion, he made the quail come out their noses. Remember that? He gave them so much quail, you couldn't walk. They're three, three feet deep, I think, uh, for about a half a mile either direction. And so, but on this occasion, he gives them water from a rock on two different occasions, as a matter of fact. Paul says that that rock was Christ. He's using this metaphorically, of course. This rock followed them around because he, he never left them. Um, so that's, that's what's going on here. In verse 5, he kind of wraps up this little section. He says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. He wasn't happy with, with these people. They've been given so many blessings. If anybody ought to be faithful, it ought to be these people, right? They have seen tremendous things. They have seen unbelievable things, things that if you had not seen them, you might not believe them. That's what these people had gone through. So if anybody ought to be faithful, it ought to be these people. 
but he says they just didn't get it. They, they weren't paying attention. They didn't make the connections between God taking care of me here and me trusting in him here. It just, it just fell apart. And, and so I would give them manna in the mornings, and then throughout the day they would complain because they had food, but it wasn't the food that they wanted. And then the next morning I would give them quail and manna again, and they would complain again. And it was all this, they were just kept making the connection wasn't there. They, they couldn't make this connection between God providing for them time and time again in such fabulous and miraculous fashions, literally raining bread down from heaven so that they could eat. This isn't a worldwide phenomenon. This is a phenomenon that's happening right on top of Israel's camp. Nobody else, the Egyptians wouldn't have seen this. The Philistines wouldn't have seen this. Nobody else is privy to this. It's only for Israel. But they just couldn't make the connections, and so God wasn't pleased with them. So he overthrew them in the wilderness. Remember the 12 spies uh, that, go into the, uh, that go into Canaan, only two of them come back and they give a good report. You remember what they said? We can take this land, right? God can take this land. The 10 spies came back and said, well, we're like, we're like grasshoppers uh, in the eyes of these guys, and they're giants, and they live in fortified cities, and there's just no way God can do this. Did you not remember about a month or two earlier when he delivered you from the greatest fighting force on the planet? You just didn't make the connection, right? And so he, he wasn't pleased with them, so he overthrew them in the wilderness. And that, genera- excuse me, that generation died, all of them, right there, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua. Everyone that was above 20 years of age, they all died in the wilderness because they refused to make this connection. So that's where Paul's headed. Still not there yet. Keep going. More context. Verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. They wanted evil. That's what he's saying. They they wanted evil. He says, you don't need to want those things. (coughs) Do not be idolaters, as some of of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 of them fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. So there again, he's, he's drawing, again, three or four examples from the Old Testament when the people did something, right? So back here, in, first, in the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 10, it's all what God had done. The people were not responsible for any of these things. God had done all these things. He would have done them had the people been good or bad. Um, he disciplines them, but he, he does these things. And it didn't really, it wasn't up to them. They didn't do any of these things. These things are all them. And so let me walk you through some of these verses. Um, the people sat down to eat and, ro- and drink and rose up to play. That's, that's Paul, that's the Holy Spirit pointing you back to another Old Testament reference. It's actually Exodus 32, verse 6. So the reference there is when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to receive the law. Remember how long he was up there, right? He was up there for a little over a month. Um, And, well, at one point he was up there for a little over a month. But when he comes down, they, uh, he and, and Joshua are coming down the mountain. And Joshua says, oh, man, it must, they must be must be in, in battle down there because I, I hear the sound of battle. And Moses says, not the sound of battle. That's the sound of worship. And so they go down 
and they have worshiped, they're worshiping a golden calf. Um, and that's, that's where um, Moses writes, they sat down to eat and they drink and they rose up to play. And he's, he's really ridiculing them there. But it's this short-sightedness. God is delivering his commandments, his word. You want to know how to be pleasing to God? He's telling Moses, and then Moses is going to come down and tell you, because you refuse to talk to God by yourself. One-on-one, you refuse that relationship. And so now God's got to work through a mediator, a man-made mediator. And so while he's giving those instructions to the man-made mediator, you go off and you do whatever you want to do, and you start worshiping idols. Uh, the second one here, the 23,000 fell in a single day. That's uh, Numbers 25, verse 9. Uh, I think what's going on here, uh, we've got a little bit to talk through on this one, but I think what's going through here is uh, when the, uh, the Israelites uh, are going through some um, sexual, sexual immorality with their, with their pagan neighbors, they're intermarrying, and they're, they're falling again into idol worship yet again. They seem to never learn their lesson, but they, they intermarry with the peoples around them, uh, and they, um, which obviously he had uh, condemned earlier. But then they go even a step further. They go deeper into sin, and they start worshiping those pagan, uh, their pagan uh, spouses' gods. Uh, and so God sends these, uh, these, these serpents, and everyone that's bitten by the serpent dies, um, the, the, the interesting tidbit here is in Numbers 25, 9, Moses records that 24,000 people died. Here, Paul records for us that there were only 23,000. So what's going on? Uh, I think we got the right passage. I think what the Holy Spirit's doing here is 23,000 died in a single day. 24,000 died, an, an extra thousand succumbed, to their, some from, succumbed from their injuries. Um, over the span of a day or a week or however long it was. I think that's what's going on. Um, could, be, could be other things, but I think that's what's going on. At any rate, again, this is something that the people have done. This is their responsibility. They fell short. They refused to rely on God. They refused to obey, submit. And so this is what has happened. And so, um, again, in, uh, in Numbers 21... Um, verse 4, they, uh, they grumble and they refuse to um, appreciate and show gratitude toward the uh, food that God has provided for them uh, there in the wilderness, the manna and the, uh, the quail and the, and the rock, um, the water that comes from the rock. And so all these are things that these people have done. This is their responsibility. This is their fault. Uh, okay, so we're getting closer. 1 Corinthians 10, the next couple of verses. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. On whom the end of the ages has come, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So he's saying, these guys were an example for you. You need to learn this lesson. Well, what's the lesson that we need to learn here? Well, the lesson, lesson that we need to learn is that we shouldn't be overconfident on ourselves. That was their problem, right? They devalued God and they overappreciated themselves. And you see that with the first five verses of 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, right? That's where they undervalued God. They watched the parting of the Red Sea and said, nah, 
That's not, I'm not going to connect the dots there. I'm not going to live as if this God is powerful enough to discipline me or to lead my life or control me or be my master. I'm not going to submit just because he feeds me for 40 years in a miraculous fashion with bread falling from the sky. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be his servant for the rest of my life. They, they devalued God. They undervalued him while overappreciating themselves. And that's the, the second set of verses. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 10, 6 through 10, they overappreciated themselves. They do whatever they want despite what God and his commands were. Worship me and me only. I'm a jealous God. That's what he says in Exodus 20, right? And then what? The Israelites go and they start worshiping almost literally anything else. As, as you go through uh, their, their time frame uh, there in the wilderness, they worship almost literally anything and everything but him, even going so far as to worship trees and things like that. Um, so they overappreciated themselves. So we're, we're, we're the deal here. We're going to do what we want to do. And so the Holy Spirit's trying to get across to the Corinthian church and to us. You don't make that same mistake. You need to put God in his place, highly value him, Rely on Him. Don't, don't make the mistake of relying on yourself. Don't be overconfident. And that's, that's something that the Corinthians are going to struggle with. And I think that's why he includes that here. Because the Corinthians, um, they are, at least have a reputation for being very smart, very well-spoken. Um, they have um, these, these guys called the super apostles. And Paul says, I'm not a super apostle and I don't have to. Uh, provide my credentials to you. Jesus gave me my credentials and you don't have the right to take them away. Uh, so the Corinthians deal with this pride and overconfidence issue regularly. Uh, and so it makes sense that Paul would be saying that here. You need to make sure that you're putting God in his right place. And you need to make sure that you're in your right place. You need to extra value God and undervalue your own achievements. Rely on him. Don't rely on yourself because you're like a broken reed. You're not very dependable. Okay, now, verse 13, the one I think has been taken out of context and misapplied and uh, misused. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to, to endure it. So I think what he's, what he's driving at here is you need to rely on God. You're not strong enough to get through a lot of the temptations, a lot of the tests, a lot of the things that we struggle with in life. We're, we're not equipped to do those kinds of things. Um, and I see this as a misapplication, a misused uh, passage because people will get into a doctor's office or they'll get into... A courtroom or they'll get into a difficult situation in life and they'll think God promised that he wouldn't give me something I couldn't handle and is he real is he does he care is he is he there is he listening he doesn't care about me you know I don't think he ever promised that he was going to protect you from all the bad things that could happen in life I think he uses those bad things to make you rely on him. I think that's what he's driving at here uh, in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, I think that's one of the ways that we've, we've 
misused it in the past. The whole context is him driving at, rely on me. Don't rely on yourself. Rely on me. Don't, don't lean on yourself. And, and it's very much the, the problem, don't lean on your own understanding, right? It, it's very much that. But he's saying you, you're not reliable. You get in situations in a funeral home and, and in all these other places where you've lost a loved one, you've got a diagnosis, your marriage has fallen apart, X, Y, Z has happened. We've all been in those situations where you think... I'm at a loss. I'm just, I just can't handle it. And I, I don't know what to do. This verse is for that because you were never designed to be able to hold on to all those things. God was. And so he's pushing you into relying on him using these, these things. Um, let me give you a couple of uh, interesting things about this verse. This, uh, this idea of overtaking you, no, no temptation has overtaken you. It's the image of, and this verse is just riddled with really interesting images, but the, this has overtaken you, is the image of, of an aggressive person running up to you and grabbing you and shaking you, um, kind of by your shirt collar, you know. Um, and so he says, no, no temptations has overtaken you like that. They're not, it's not holding you tight. Um, the verb here, overtaken, is in the present tense. And so he, he's saying it's not like this person, uh, this sin has just wrapped you up and it refuses to let you go. He says it's not, it's not like that. No temptation has overtaken you like that. These things are common to man. Everybody's going through these kinds of temptations. These are not supernatural temptations. He's not talking about demon possession. He's talking about things that we all go through at some point or another. Flip over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter uh, echoes this thought. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter 5, 8. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he, he's, he's comforting the people that he's writing to by saying, the whole brotherhood's going through this. Uh, it's not like you're being picked on. It's not, it's not you being singled out by God. This is something that we all experience. I think, I think he's trying to draw on that idea uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13 here. The temptations that the, that the Corinthians and that we undergo. He says, these things are common. Everybody goes through them. And side note, parenthetical statement here, a lot of people get through them. So you can too. This isn't, this isn't unovercomable for you. You can, through the power of God, get through this, but you can't do it on your own. The, the point here is rely on Him because we're not worth relying on. We, we fall short. We mess up. We don't see things right all the time. We make bad decisions. We do bad things. But he doesn't, and he is faithful, right? <clears throat> so this uh, down toward the bottom, this way of escape that he's, that he's talking about there, the image there, and another beautiful image here, uh, is that of, uh, of a small army. And they're backed up into uh, a mountain. And so there's a massive army in front of them, a mountain behind them. There's nowhere to run. There's a little mountain pass that leads through the mountain. Uh, maybe you couldn't see it before. And, and that's kind of that's the, the image here, that this way of escape 
It's, it's not always easily visible. And you may be terrified and it may look like it's the end. <coughs> it may look like you can't get through what you're going through. But, but God's given you this little path that if you walk it, you'll come through this and you'll come through it stronger. And so I think that's really what's going on here in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I think his message, uh, I think a, a summary of his message may be you rely on God. You don't, you don't rely on yourself. Um, you lean on God, lean into God. Let me give you one more verse. The, the passage that Derek read for us this afternoon it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8-11, through 11, where Paul deals with using almost exactly the same words, a very similar situation. So this is what he says. For we don't want you to be uninformed, uh, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. I don't, I don't know what Paul was going through. We're not told. Um, we we kind of have are left to guess what this was. And scholars have thrown out a variety of suggestions. and uh, They all are suggestions, their opinions. We don't really know what he's going through. But whatever it was, Paul says, this is so serious. I, I thought I was going to die. But look at the way that he, he words this. We were so utterly burdened beyond whose strength? Our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had re received the sentence of death. He said, we thought we were on death row. Whatever this was, he thought he was going to die during this situation. He says, this is out of my control. I, I, didn't, I, I could not handle this on my own. It was way above my head. This is above my pay grade. You see what he's getting at? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you look at that in the light of this verse, and it starts making a lot more sense. Uh, when you start thinking of the context of 1 Corinthians 10 and the reliance that uh, the Old Testament folks should have had, and he says that the church ought to have, God is our strength. Uh, Psalms would talk about that repeatedly. He's our fortress. He's our stronghold, right? You're not designed to be able to deal with all of life here. Things are incredibly difficult. Some of us have walked an incredibly difficult path. The point is, you lean into God. You rely on Him, and He is faithful. Um, listen to what else Paul says. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. He's, he's connected the dots for us here, hasn't he? He's saying, I was in this really terrible situation, and I, I just didn't know what to do, and it was far beyond my capacity to handle it. I couldn't. I couldn't handle this situation. It was way outside my, my pay grade. But I was in this situation so that I could learn to rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises from the dead. I think that's what he's trying to get across in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as well. We rely on him, not on ourselves. Verse 10, he says, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing He's granted us through the prayers of many. And so I think Paul's trying to drive at this point. You rely on God because there's situations that you get into here that are so painful and so riddled with grief Human heart's tough, and it's not that tough. And so 
we have to lean on a force and a power that is greater than ours. And honestly, that is the word from Scripture. You don't rely on yourself. This isn't about you. You're not strong enough to do these things. You're not strong enough to save yourself. You're not strong enough to be good on your own. You're not strong enough to do any of these things. Why would I be strong enough to get myself out of temptation? Well, I'm not, but I rely on him. All that to say, he has not removed free will. Maybe that's the caveat we need to, we need to put in here. Uh, he has not removed free will from this, uh, from this passage. Obviously, we are still accountable for our actions. Um, simply saying that uh, what Paul's trying to get across, what the Holy Spirit's trying to get across to us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, is that we need to rely on God. We don't need to lean on ourselves. We need to lean on, lean into Him. So this evening, if you're struggling, we want to pray with you and for you uh, that you can be who God would have you to be, that you can lean into Him. Uh, we want to be the, 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 the bulwark for you um, that where you find family, where you find acceptance, where you find hope and peace, and we can lead you to Christ, who can gain, who can give you salvation. If you've not been baptized into Christ tonight, that's the very first step to having your sins washed away. If you have any need tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing? Good evening, church family. 
couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that this Wednesday is Stepping Stone Supper at 5.30. Breakfast is on the menu. Also, April 18th at 6.30 will be the Addiction Seminar. At 6.30, the Addiction Seminar will be here, held here at the building. Also, if you can help out on April 22nd for the Hometown Love Fairgrounds event, uh, please see Chris. And also, April 24th through the 26th will be the Flatwoods Gospel Meeting. And um, also, the mowing schedule, if you can help out cutting the church grass, um, there's a, on the bulletin board out in the foyer, there's a calendar out there. Please sign your name. If this is your first time ever doing it, uh, please see Greg Sullivan. He can show you the boundaries, show you where the mower's at and the gas and all that stuff. So we, we have all that ready and prepared for you. Uh, remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus and Terry Leap and Jim Haney and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they go through their cancer treatments. Keep uh, Jim Jackson, a friend of uh, Marvin and Christy McAllister, in your prayers as he's going uh, through bypass surgery on April 6th. And also continue to keep Joe Robinson in your prayers. Uh, he was in a car accident last week, so keep him in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been, been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our last song this evening is number 841, Sing and Be Happy. We'll do the first and last verses. And then Steve has our closing prayer. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. Father, Lord God in heaven, hallowed be thy name, dear Lord. The Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven always, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that we do your will and your will only, dear Lord. 
We thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for this day that you've allowed us to come together and worship you, dear Heavenly Father. We just pray that our worship was pleasing in your sight, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Lord God, we, we pray for those that couldn't be here, dear Heavenly Father. We ask that you bless them, dear Lord, and, and may they be with us as soon as they can, dear Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for those that are on the sick list, dear Heavenly Father. Those are asked for prayer, dear Lord. We ask that you, you touch them, you give them peace, dear Heavenly Father. You help them with their anxiety. You, you give them a peace that, doesn't that, that, that surpasses understanding, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with those that, that struggle, that, that have problems, dear Heavenly Father, that, that haven't made it known, that haven't requested those prayers, dear Lord. We know that there are those among us that, that hurt, dear Heavenly Father, that, uh, that have things that go on in their lives and they don't know why, dear Heavenly Father. They don't even know perhaps to reach out, dear Lord. We just pray for them, dear Heavenly Father, that you, you know them, dear Heavenly Father, and we just ask that you will touch them and, and, and bring them to peace, dear Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, as we go through this walk, dear Lord, we know that, that there will be temptations, dear Heavenly Father. We know that there will be struggles. We know there will be times that we fall, dear Heavenly Father. And I just pray that for those that fall, dear Heavenly Father, that they know to, to raise their hand to you, dear Lord, and you will Lift them with your righteous right hand, dear Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you be with us all as we go out from this place, dear Heavenly Father, that we may spread the gospel as you want us to, dear Heavenly Father. And we do that with joy, dear Heavenly Father, and not fear. Dear Lord, we do it with urgency, knowing that the time is short. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that we do it with love, dear Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that you guide us in everything we do, dear Heavenly Father, that, uh, that you set us on that straight and narrow path, dear Heavenly Father. And when we do stumble, dear Lord, you're there to to pick us up, Heavenly Father, and put us back on that path so that we may be with you someday in the home eternal, our life eternal. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins, dear Heavenly Father. We ask that you, that you make us perfect, dear Heavenly Father, that you make us stable, dear Lord, that you strengthen us, that you settle us, dear Heavenly Father. Dear Heavenly Father, we just ask that you, you be with us always and to you be the glory forever and ever. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.